Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. On this episode of the Hockey IQ podcast, we bring on Josh Mallory. Uh, Josh is an assistant coach and director of analytics with Brock Women's Program up in Canada. Uh, also, he has a great newsletter, just like ours, uh, only his is called Mallory's Playbook. Uh, really enjoy his skating and how he breaks that down. Uh, Dan, what stuck out to you? Yeah, well, first of all, every time one of Josh's uh, newsletter comes across my inbox, it's a must read. Really intelligent guy and a super, super thoughtful writer. Uh, always learn something from him. He's just got a really interesting way of looking at the game. He's just a really thoughtful person, I think, the way he speaks about the game. And, yeah, this was a really fun conversation. Could not agree more. Uh, fun one. He's a fun guy as well. Good old Canadian. Uh, he's got his cottage house up on the lake. So we trade some stories at the beginning, and then we uh, really dive into specifics of skating and breaking down mechanics and, and how they do it up there at Brock. So uh, excited to share this with everyone. Without further ado, our interview with Josh Mallory. Welcome, Josh Mallory of Mallory's Playbook. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys? Excellent, excellent. We're happy to have you on. Uh, I think it's the big first time, huge, massive podcast you've been on. So congrats. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to be here, fellas. Yeah, we're huge and massive. That's true. Yeah, both both are facts. <laughs> Literally and metaphorically so. Uh, so getting going here, maybe give us a little bit of background on how you've gotten to where you are now. Uh, obviously, you're at Brock University working with the women's team there and then also doing some writing on the side and, and finishing up your schooling. Yeah. So um, for those who don't know me, uh, my name's Josh. I Graduated from Brock Sport Management uh, with a bachelor degree in 2019, um, and then I subsequently stepped right into uh, a master's degree uh, in sport management as well, because uh, I just can't get enough of school. Um, but uh, I'm also the assistant coach and director of analytics with the women's hockey team at Brock. Um, and then I obviously have a sub stack um, on the side, very similar to, uh, to, to Greg's and, uh, and Daniel's. Um, same with guys like Jack Hahn, a lot of those guys just writing about kind of what I know, what I've learned, what I continue to learn, um, about the game of hockey. Um, and then, uh, I also write about prospects. I do deep dives, uh, about one or two a month for FSD hockey when I can kind of fit it in, um, to my schedule, but, uh, but yeah. So not bad doing, doing good. Um, yeah, I, I guess my, my first question goes into your history here. You, you didn't really touch on it, but, uh, between all of this, you did spend a summer in, in Northern Ontario in, in Rossau. 
Jesus. Rosso. <laughs> oh, okay. Rosso. Got it. Yeah. Um, so it seems like a little bit of a resort area. So what did you take away from that first and foremost? Oh man, that's, uh, that job was one of the most stressful, but also valuable summer jobs I've ever had. So when I transitioned from graduating from my uh, bachelor's degree and then decided to do a master's, I realized, you know, having to pay for quite literally every aspect of my life was going to be expensive. So um, I pursued kind of a summer job that pays a little more, obviously, just with tips and everything from uh, from serving and bartending. So I bartended uh, at this place called Crossroads in Rostow. Um, so it's just a place in Muskoka. I've got a family cottage there about 30 minutes down the road. So um, I stayed there for the summer and worked as the lone bartender for an entire summer. Um, that was an interesting experience. Do about 300 to 350 covers a night between, you know, big family guests, um, you know, all kinds of groups of people that come in. Um, it, it was a great experience, very stressful, but I mean, I learned a lot of valuable skills and now I've got bartending abilities in my back pocket too, which always is a nice thing for, uh, you know, in non COVID times getting together with friends and family, but yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of NHL players and celebs that come through there. Um, Marner and his family are regulars there. Uh, Good Branson and his family are pretty regular there. Uh, Eric Lindros always comes in and, and sweats and crocs with a Rolex on his left wrist to, to pick up dinner. So that's that's always a, a fun sight to see him come in. Um, Martin Short, Tom Hanks, all kinds of people. It's 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 a cool little spot. Um, kind of just a little armpit in Muskoka, a little city in the middle of nowhere. But but yeah, no, that was a fun that was a fun job experience, um, and uh, definitely one that I look back on fondly for sure. So can you get Tom Hanks on the podcast for us? I don't know if I have that connection. Uh, I don't know if we uh, we hit it off that well, but uh, I can I can see what I can do. <laughs> or maybe we just get the Crocs on. I, I love Lind- yeah, Lindros. Lindros would be a good consolation. I've heard unreal things about Muskoka, but never been. Now I definitely have to put it on put it on the short list. Absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah, it's it's one of the most beautiful places ever. Like, obviously, super fortunate to have a family place up there. So, spent a lot of my childhood summers up there, and then obviously last summer, just with COVID kind of shutting everything down up here, we spent a lot of summers kind of just up there because there was nothing else to do so um and then the summer before that working up there so it's it's a great spot for sure one of the nicer places you can go around here yeah that's awesome uh how did you pick brock uh it's kind of funny like i i I knew that i wanted to get involved with sport um and you know true sport management degrees are, are pretty hard to come by in Canada, at least there's only a handful of actual sport um, management. There's sports management programs that you can do on the side of like a kin degree or, or a health sciences degree kind of thing. But um, the only like true um, through and through sport management programs in Ontario, at least are at Laurentian with their sport admin program. And then at Brock with sport management. And then there's a few programs out East and out West in Canada, but um, I was really just drawn to the fourth year internship aspect, um, which, you know, I, I, I can get into, but that's kind of um, how I got my start with uh, the women's hockey team at Brock. But to me, that was, you know, a big selling point just because Brock is huge on both the theoretical side of things, but also the real world, you know, experiential learning. Um, so that was a big selling point for me. Um, and I, I kind of had Brock as my first choice ever since it was start time to start applying, uh, you know, back in my grade 11 or 12 year um, of high school. So I, I kind of knew from the start and I was just happy to get in. So wonderful. Well, let, let's let's dig into that a little bit. So um, what are you doing as, as a director of analytics and assistant coach with the women's team there? 
Yeah, so uh, it looks a little different right now, obviously, with the pandemic. We haven't played a single game this year, um, and we aren't going to, at least until, you know, next fall, maybe winter. That's all still up in the air with the OUA right now. But um, currently, uh, you know, if, if it's a normal season with games, uh, you know, I'm coaching the forwards, uh, I run the power play, and then I oversee um, kind of the analytics stuff that we do. Um, so back when I started with the team, I implemented an analytics program and, and really brought into place a lot of, um, a lot of different analytical methods of looking at the game. Um, but now I've kind of handed that off to, uh, our awesome member of our staff, Jason, and he does, he had a really good knowledge base of analytics and hockey coming into it. So it made it a lot easier for me to kind of hand that role off. And then, um, so we kind of just provide him with, with what we're looking for as a staff and an organization. And he does our live tracking, um, and our video tracking after the fact, then he reports it, uh, to me. And then I kind of translate all of those findings and, and the visualizations and graphs to our staff between Margot Page, our head coach, uh, Brad Nicholson, our other assistant and myself. Um, and then I, I, I'm kind of that, uh, that bridge now in between, you know, the, the pure data side and translating it to how it maybe affects different aspects of our tactics, um, our on-ice play performance, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of my role. So yeah, the forwards, um, forward coach, power play coach, and then kind of overseeing all of our analytics stuff now. Um, and, and that's in a normal season. Right now it's it's tough, obviously, because we don't have a season. We haven't had games. So well, let's, let's uh, get theoretical since you're in a theoretical program here. You know, what kind of stuff are you looking to grab out of the analytics to help your team perform? Um, I touched on it briefly on my Twitter account. So we do two methods um, to implement analytics and um, very fortunate to be part of, you know, such a forward thinking group of coaches and staff that that we really have integrated it to the point where it's part of our day to day in a normal season. Um, integrating just, you know, numbers and um, different different ways of analyzing the game from that perspective. But the, the two big approaches that we have are both from an individual player level um, and then as well on a uh, more, more of a bigger scale with the team level and performance. So with the players, we'll do kind of entry. Um, if they're returning players, we'll do kind of like entry meetings and we build individual player um, kind of analytical profiles. And we walk through that with them. They, they've really enjoyed that. A lot of our returning players have grown to really see it as, as a valuable development resource. And, you know, we'll combine elements of video, um, individual data and, and analytics and um, kind of combine it with also, you know, what we see and what we know develops throughout a season or an off season. Um, and then we kind of put in place, you know, where we, where we think they can improve the most. Then at kind of midterms of the season. So, around Christmas time, we'll sit back down with our players um, and we'll go over, uh, you know, an, an updated version of those same statistical profiles. We'll look at where they may have improved, where they may be regressed, stayed the same, um, and then do that whole process over. And then we also do exit meetings with that kind of stuff to help us build development plans for those players going into the off season. Um, so that's a pretty integrated part. And then on a team level, we, uh, we do, um, team level meetings, uh, you know, with the players and all the staff every four to six games just kind of depends on the stretch we're in. Sometimes we have more games than not in specific stretches. Um, but that breaks down to a meeting about every three weeks or so in a normal season. Um, and we go over how we're doing as a team analytically and, and how our opponents are doing against us analytically uh, and vice versa, obviously. Um, and then obviously, you know, being able to do that every four to six games, we again, look at where we might, have, where we may have improved, where we may have regressed, 
um, where we, you know, roughly stay the same and, and how that, uh, how, how we can kind of go about maybe improving some of the stuff that that's lagging behind a bit. So it, it's become a very integrated part of our process. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it, it can be a cumbersome process at the OUA level, just because, you know, you're talking about a pretty significant lack of resources and, you know, finance and availability of data is a big thing too. They're, really isn't anything publicly available in terms of like a, a meta database, like something just that has, you know, like a natural statric for the NHL or, you know, a site like that. The OUA site just has basic box score stuff like goals, assists. And even then some of the stuff that they keep track of on there isn't always accurate. So you really have to get creative and, and do a lot of stuff in house. So, um, but uh, we, we've made do definitely with, with the resources and, and the awesome people that we have. So it's, it's just become a really great part of our everyday. So. That's pretty nice. What was it like to build out a analytics program from scratch? Uh, it was cumbersome, but I, I drew on a lot of my experience with staff leads, um, having worked there throughout my undergrad for two and a half years. And, you know, it really just started as an organic process. And again, I, to reiterate, I'm thankful for um, working with such kind of forward thinking coaches between Margo and Brad, um, you know, to them and obviously to myself analytics are just another another piece of the pie it's just extra information um and so you know when, when i came in um i kind of sat down and built a slideshow um for them and and walked through all the metrics that i wanted to start keeping track of what they mean what they are why they're important and how they kind of impact in-game performance tactics etc um because you know you can't you can't really come in to uh you can't really come in and just kind of blow the doors open and Guns say no we're yeah you, yeah, you can't really do it that way. Otherwise, you're going to step on some toes and ruffle some feathers. So really, it's just a really organic process on, on sitting down and being like, okay, hey, here's what it is. Um, in very simple terms, here's what it means. Um, here's why it's important and why we should be, you know, keeping track of this. Because yeah. before I got there and before Margo got there, the, and <laughs> full credit to her, like the program's just done a complete 180 over the last, you know, four years or so since she took over the program. It, it's just become so professionalized now is, um, it was just really like, how can we, uh, how can we bring in a lot of this heavy video and heavy analytics based approaches so that we can, you know, just make more sound decisions. Right. And that's all it comes down to at the end of the day is, you know, how can we combine what we're seeing on the ice uh, on a week to week basis in practice, um, in game, uh, through the video and then subsequently through the data, you know, does the data support or contrast maybe some of the biases that, that you may or may not have about what you're seeing on the ice. Right. So it, just for us, we really like to take a very pragmatic holistic approach um, to our decision-making. And, and at the end of the day, that, that was, that was a pretty cumbersome process at the start to get it off the ground. But now, um, now it's, it's, it's awesome to see it just a part of the day to day. And, and, you know, that's just something that I, that I like to feel pretty good about because, you know, like I said, when I first got there, we really didn't keep track of any of that stuff. Right. So. Okay, two quick follow-ups then. One, uh, what what important metrics uh, do you track? Like, you don't have to go into like super specifics that are like team specific, but maybe like some that. Please do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, without giving away uh, without giving away too too much of what we do, you know, just for the fact of if uh, we've got some uh, opposing coaches listening to this, but. We, I mean, we do a lot of the stuff that you'd expect. We, we do possession. Um, so, you know, course, Fenwick, all that kind of stuff. We, we do a lot of high danger based stuff. We do entries, exits. Um, we do some contextual stuff too, that I won't go into too much detail about, but it's, uh, 
And then it's a little tougher just with, you know, an expected goals uh, side of things, just because again, the, the resources are super limited right. um, at the OUA level. And it's funny. I, I tried once I switched from my general manager role to my coaching and director of analytics role, we, we tried, um, you know, building out kind of a mini department. So, you know, just with the sport management program at Brock, we wanted to say, Hey, like here's an opportunity to work and, and, you know, become kind of a, a group of people so we can get a lot more done and collect a lot more data and, and do a lot more analysis. But it was, it's surprising. Um, and it opened my eyes that, you know, we, we could barely recruit people to get on board with the women's program. Um, and then on the men's side of things, you've got all these, all these students lined out the door to, you know, maybe track zone entries or something during the men's game. Right. So that's, that was a very eye opening thing on the disparity between, the men's and women's side of things. So um, we, we haven't been able to necessarily pursue a lot of the more maybe ambitious stuff that, that I might've had in mind, but that's a pro that's a process that's still growing and evolving just like the program is. And, and I think that um, I think that, yeah, I mean, nothing crazy. Um, just, you know, like I said, we, we do a lot of the possession stuff. We do uh, high danger. We do, you know, scoring chances, we do entries, exits. And then, like I said, some more contextual stuff that, um, that I kind of learned through my time, um, you know, just working at Stathletes and learning the game that way too. So, yeah, well, b- before I get to my second follow-up question, I just, some brief commentary on my end. Like I, that's really kind of disappointing to hear, honestly, that there's like such a disparity between the men and women's. I think that for a lot of people, there's just like this assumption that the women's game is like far behind or, or something mm-hmm. like that. The men's game, um, a few years ago when I was at Daryl's camp in Florida, the, it was like half NHL stars, but half like uh, the like after that was like the women's uh, Olympian group, like half U.S., half Canadian. And I, I got to tell you, like, I, I don't know if I could pick a favorite between the two. Like it was it was different, obviously. But like, I think that people, if they gave the women's game a fair shake, would be really impressed by it. Um, so I, I think it's like you said, it's just a process and we just got to get more people in tune with the women's game. But it's coming. Um, yeah. sorry, that's, that's my own little tirade. Um, no, for sure. No, for sure. And then this, my second question was, you know, obviously, uh, I'm fascinated by like the process of building something like that out from scratch. What, um, what changes can you say that you've made from day one to today? Like, I can't imagine that your day one, uh, program <laughs> was like, yeah, this is what we're going to go with in perpetuity. Like what, what, ev- like what evolution have you had? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I think, you know, I think that I just recognize, you know, again, how young I am and, and how much I still continue to learn about the analytics side of things, even with my current role. And um, I think our changes just reflect that. And then Jason, um, our member of our staff that came in, he had a lot of prior knowledge as well. So he he provided a lot of very valuable insight and, and things that I hadn't even thought of. Right. So at the end of the day, um, it, it looks nothing like it, it started out as, um, you know, it started out as, you know, me live tracking through Excel and live tracking on pieces of paper during games and just keeping it. I've, I've got it somewhere, but I've got a thick stack of, you know, those like rink sheet charts, just probably that, that thick with all the live stuff that I tracked in my first year with the team during my internship. And, and that's cool to look back on. Right. So it started as a very almost archaic uh, process like that, but it's evolved. It's evolved a lot more. And and now that we've got somebody as skilled as, as Jason kind of looking after that and then, you know, just me seeing what I learned through Twitter and, and through reading a lot of the publications that come out and, and paying for a lot of 
you know, a lot of these people's public stuff. And then, you know, just continuing to draw on my, on my knowledge base from working with staff leads. I think that it, it's always, you know, like you said, it can't always remain in perpetuity. Um, we're always looking to add stuff. We're always looking to change maybe the ways we go about it. And, and that's been a fun process to be a part of, especially, um, you know, at, at my age, I'm just kind of, you know, learning on the fly as, as we go. And then we, when we figure it out and be, just being surrounded by good people, I think, and, and, you know, smart forward thinking staff has been a big part of that. And then, you know, just being completely open-minded. I know that's a concept both of you are huge on too, is, is learning from, you know, those people that are a lot smarter on it than you are. And um, that, that's been a well, big, I teamed up with uh, Dan. I mean, he's the smart guy in the room. We all know yeah, exactly. <laughs> Relax. Exactly. Precisely. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I, it, it looks nothing like it did when it started, but, and it's just going to continue to change too, which is awesome. And hopefully, you know, my dream, my hope, my goal for it is again, to be able to draw from getting a bunch of people on board and being like, you know, making it something exciting, like, Hey guys, like hockey talkie at the end of the day, you want to get your start doing something, you know, very valuable and, 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 you know, building something really cool um, that you can say you've been a part of then, you know, hockey's hockey, right. It doesn't matter if it's men's, doesn't matter if it's women's. And at the end of the day, the women's product is amazing at the OUA level, right. We're talking about very high level athletes. So um, hockey's hockey. And if, if you know the game, you can analyze the game. doesn't matter um, whether it's men's or women's. So that's, that's our hope for sure. Um, but uh, I, I think you'll see that to continue to grow as you see the NWHL growth continue and, and the dream gap tour start to gain some, some steam here too. So. So, so we've, dip, we've dove into a lot of the analytics here and I'm, I'm curious with stat, stat leads, is that how it's pronounced? Stat leads. Yeah. Stat leads. It's like math leads, yeah. but for stats. Um, <laughs> yeah. So one, how did you get into that? And then two, what kind of stuff were you digging into? What kind of work were you doing? Uh, and what did you learn from it? Um, yeah, so I got involved with it actually just by chance. I, I had followed staff leads for a while, um, just on my own time when I kind of started out in my undergrad. They were a pretty new organization uh, back when I started. It was co-founded, obviously, by Megan Chaika and Neil Lane. Um, and then uh, John Chaika had some involvement with it as well. And then their dad, Terry. Um, but, uh, you know, I saw I think it was I want to say the summer yeah, the summer going into my second year. So after I had wrapped up my first year, I knew I wanted to get involved with something outside of school. Um, because at the end of the day, you look back at the people that have kind of done some impressive stuff out of my program, um, which, you know, Kyle Dubas came out of our program, Andrew Tinnish, who's the, who's with the Blue Jays now came out of our program. You know, a lot of those guys, they, they got involved with a lot of extracurricular stuff. And, and even Brandon Curry, who's doing amazing things, he's my age and he's the assistant GM with the, uh, with the Niagara Ice Dogs of the OHL. Um, and, you know, the common thread between, you know, people that are, that are doing some cool things is getting involved with extracurricular stuff, even if it means sacrificing a lot of your free time, right? So uh, I went, I kind of looked at that as an opportunity and I just threw my application in, um, went through a very arduous but fun uh, interview process, uh, a very, very unique interview process as well. And then luckily got that job. And, um, yeah, I worked as a video analyst primarily there for, for, uh, my two and a half years. And, um, you know, I really can't, I really can't delve into, uh, too many of the details behind the scenes. Um, but it, it it's, it's really eye opening to work for work for a private company and just the army of people we had there, amazing people, obviously at the top with Neil and Megan, they're just 
amazing people to work for and so knowledgeable about um, the analytics side of things. And then, um, you know, the trickle down from there, from the senior staff, and then obviously the people that uh, like myself and a lot of the other amazing people I worked with um, working, working, uh, working weekends and nights, you know, you work there from like two, 3 AM, just breaking, breaking down and cutting NHL games and, and analyzing the game that way. And that had a big influence on kind of how I, watch the game and process the game and, and think about the game too. So, um, but yeah, that, that had a big part in shaping kind of who I am and how I look at the game now for sure. All right. Well, you just led us right into the next question, right, Greg? <laughs> yeah. How, how do you watch the game? Like what, what kind of things, uh, what's your prism look like? It's, it's funny because I, I see it as ever evolving, just like kind of anything, any approach I have to the game. Um, I, I, I never like to stay too stagnant in how I look at the game, but, um, I approach it from a very analytical perspective. And I don't, I don't mean that necessarily from a number standpoint either. That's, that kind of obviously comes after the fact once everything's been tracked and amalgamated, but to me, um, and this kind of relates back to something I wrote about in my, in my newsletter, just about figuring out, um, your personality type. And, uh, I'm a very analytical person by nature. So in terms of how I like to uh, view things. So for me, when I watch a game, I I don't like to jump to conclusions too much when like, you know, one, one off scenario happens for a player or a system or a tactic. Um, I I like to look at it at more of a holistic level and, and make, you know, try as best as I can to make more level-headed decisions that way. Um, so, you know, from a, from a tactics perspective, and this kind of relates to our entire staff, we, we obviously have our expectations with our system, but we also try to encourage, you know, flexibility within that system too. Right. Because, you know, you guys have talked about it on your newsletter. Jack's talked about it on his that, you know, if, if you just hammer players with systems and, and you got to do this and you got to do that, it, it's going to lead to some constraints on the ice gripping their stick too tight and not making plays. And, you know, for us, we want to, we want to have our expectations, our systems, our, our culture, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, that expression about which players might go about it on the ice, um, that could look different player to player. Right. So I think that's kind of how I look at it at a, at a tactics and, and strategy standpoint is, is more of a holistic level. And then on an individual level, um, you know, I think you really got to get to know your players. Obviously you can't just watch a shift or two of somebody and be like, yep, a couple turnovers and, you know, the second period there, they're a horrible player and nothing like that. I I think I really like to watch it from, you know, maybe how they played over the course of the weekend and then have a chat with them or, you know, when we do our player reports or our team level reports, is there anything you can gather from that that might be like, Hey, you know, maybe this line, uh, needs a shakeup or, or this particular matchup, we can't be matching this line against the other teams, you know, second or first line when we play them next, so on and so forth. So I'd say I watch it, you know, in a very kind of analytical way. Um, and I really don't like to, I don't usually talk too, too much on the bench. I'm uh, not too vocal. Do you even watch coach. the game at all, Mr. Analytics? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm not too vocal of a coach, at least not yet, but I really like to, I really like to reserve my commentary either for, you know, things that the player might be doing as a trend that I notice. Um, and that's a big thing for me. And then, uh, yeah, I, I haven't turned into too much of a yeller or a talker yet. So hopefully I can keep it that way, but, uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, for sure. Reminder, uh, yelling at your team's like yelling at your spouse. The more you do it, the less effective it becomes. Yes. Craig speaking <laughs> from practice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, 
changing grounds ever so slightly. I really want to get into specifics. I, I know you uh, just with your NDAs, you haven't been able to really dive into much, but I think we can finally really dive into some juicy details and break it down for the listeners. Uh, on, on your newsletter, uh, like, like us, you like to break down the skills. So specifically, mm-hmm. I, I think your, your skating series has been a good one. Um, and, and I know you have the, the three-part skating series. That's good. I actually like the two that are not part of the series the best. Um, yeah. And we're talking about posture, effort versus outcome, things like that. So I'm going to start broad. What makes a great skater? And then we'll, we'll have some follow-ups. Yeah. So we're lucky to have a pretty common opinion on with Brock, what we view as a good skater. And, and it doesn't come down to what a lot of people might think about, you know, they see Michael Grabner being insanely fast and like that guy's a good skater for us you know, evaluating what makes a good or not as good skater is comes down to mechanics. Um, and like you touched on aspects like posture, um, you know, lower body, you know, hip flexibility and dexterity, arm motion, lots of stuff like that. And we're lucky to also have incredibly lucky to have Vicky Bendis on our staff. She's one of the brightest minds in, in uh, strength and conditioning and her work that she's doing behind the scenes right now on skating speed is just absolutely game changing for us. Um, so we're really able to, to hone in on and focus on skating with the Brock program. That's a huge emphasis for us. If, you know, if you can't skate the game, um, there, there's, there's not a lot of, (laughs) there's not a good chance that you're going to fit in with how we want to play the game and how we like to play the game. Um, so we, we implement that into our recruiting, into our development. Um, and yeah, it comes down to us for mechanics primarily. That's, that's what we evaluate as a good or a bad skater. Um, because the speed side of things, we've been very successful at developing and improving in all of our players. Um, We've gotten, you know, progressively faster year over year and and added faster and faster players. But we really like to look at, you know, skating mechanics because you guys probably know very well uh, poorly learned habits and and just poor skating habits and mechanics are very hard to unteach to kind of teach better ones and improved ones. The speed side of it, we've become, you know, very solid at adding that speed element for players and building that. So we look for a solid mechanic base. And then, you know, if, if they need to come up to speed, so to say, uh, is, is we can do that for sure. Nice pun. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what are some things that you find really fascinating she's doing to, to build out the speed? Uh, yeah, so we call it speed school um, with Brock and, and Vicky runs that just because obviously her knowledge base from from the biomechanical side of things and and the strength and conditioning side of things is, is second to none. So we we do a lot of time sprints. Um, now we're starting, you know, with COVID having to get creative or really starting to like film, um, you know, player strides and acceleration um, and, and kind of because, you know, like watching it through video you might think that you're catching everything watching it in person through your eyes the first time, but being able to like slow it down through video after and walk through it with the player and, you know, maybe pick up on things you hadn't before. So that's a big thing that, um, that we've kind of started implementing. And then just subsequently, we have an amazing um, strength and conditioning program at Brock uh, holistically for Brock uh, sports performance. So that goes for all of our teams and, you know, we have state of the art facilities now. and, And so I think just, you know, really being able to work in unison between, you know, the, the, the technical tactical side of stuff that we understand as coaches, and then being able to marry that with um, the biomechanical knowledge that Vicky and the amazing, you know, BSPC staff have at Brock and really trying to 
as best we can build out a program and, and testing methods and, and, and different evaluative measures like that to really help um, improve that skating speed for sure. So what are some of the technical aspects that you find are most common uh, deficient? And then number two, what are maybe some things that you see that are easy fixes? So things that players are able to pick up relatively quick versus something that, okay, there's a really big breakdown in mechanics here. Tough to, tough to get over that. Right. So um, I think, uh, you know, some common deficiencies, at least from what we see um, some of it just kind of relates to overall gait, but more specifically to, you know, getting low enough in your stance. Surprisingly, that's, that's something that, and also on the other side of things, we find pretty easy to fix as well with a lot of our players. Some some players that we come in don't necessarily get that positive shin angle. Um, you know, they're very you know upright through their shin. They don't get that um, knee stacked out over the toe and they don't get low enough in their stance from time to time. Um, another one is definitely extension through their rear pushes. So that back leg when they're skating in straight lines. Um uh, and then I'm trying to think like specifically acceleration is always something we work on at any level. I think you guys could probably attest to that too. I think, um, you know, those first three steps is something that that's very important for us as well, especially for, obviously, if you want to build speed and velocity, your acceleration has to be there as well. So that's a big thing that we delve into. Um, and then, uh, the big one for me, um, at least I can't speak to it as nuanced as, you know, maybe some of the minor hockey and developmental side of things in the States, but, um, at least here is you get a lot of players that come through and have been taught, um, the straightforward backwards arm motion. Um, and I wrote about it in, in my most recent skating series piece on upper body and, you know, just how it's amazing how frequently that's taught when it's, you know, pretty much <laughs> incorrect, at least from a physics perspective, because, um, you know, and I wrote about it in my piece, the reason that a lot of coaches teach that straightforward back arm motion is from sprinters but when you look at a sprinter and there's a great piece that i linked through my article on it this publication from university of manitoba from 2010 um sprinters use that forwards and backwards arm motion because the downward force that they're applying at their foot is a downward force right it, it's straight up and down against the against the ground when they make contact and they're driving and pushing off with that leg so in that sense, their arms need to reciprocally reciprocally <laughs> match the motion and the, the downforce being applied at their foot. Whereas with skating, you're talking not necessarily directly side to side movement because there is some front to back, but more of a 45 degree angle sort of thing is it's more side to side force being applied. So your arms need to match that. So a lot of coaches at a younger age will teach, you know, you got to completely stay away from side to side arm motion and, and even, you know, twisting through the torso and torque. That's a big thing. Jack is, is big on too, is coaches try to limit that. And at the end of the day, you, you want side to side arm motion to, you know, match the directional force of your skates and, and kind of maximize that force being applied. And then you also want to encourage at least a bit of rotation through your torso to help generate that torque, especially when you're in an accelerate, an accelerative kind of stance and, and motion is, you don't want over rotation obviously but that's a big thing for us too is like you know you want a little bit of rotation through your torso to at least kind of help the the torque process and then building some velocity there so 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 when it comes to shin angles uh, are you having players you know take it down an eyelet where you're not putting the skate up as far or, or how do you go about fixing that 
Yeah, we. I've brought that up with a few players. Um, I think it's it's more so for us. It, it's funny, like some of it depends on limb length too. Like we've got some players that, you know, it's actually tough for them sometimes to get that knee stacked out over their toe because maybe you know their shin is disproportionately long compared to other players, even for their height. And that can be a bit of an inhibitor. So limb length. And again, this is where the like biomechanical stuff comes in on, on Vicky's side of things that, um, that, you know, she's got more of the expertise on that side, but I think we've got a few different strategies and approaches. Um, and the big thing I think is, and I've touched on this in, uh, in one of my pieces, I can't remember which, but it's really trying to get a player to, stand this addresses a few things and getting a player to stand kind of you know how players stand on face-offs where they lean over on their stick um so getting a player to kind of do that to a see what they're you know what they fall back on posture wise and then b is you know what does their lower body look like because you'll see with a lot of players when when you tell them to kind of set up as if they were going to set up on a face-off it's usually a pretty big tell about what they're comfortable with posture wise, as well as what they're comfortable with, with their lower body and, you know, stacking their knees and um, all that kind of good stuff. So we use a few different evaluative measures measures, and then it really, it just comes down for us to um, getting the players to just repetitively work on getting those knees stacked over their toes and working on that straight stride, just up and down the ice or around the ice and warmups at the end of skates, you know, you name it, we, we uh it really just comes down to repetition and trying to correct those habits to get um to get that ideal kind of lower body uh formation going for them okay so i saw that you posted another article today in your sub stack on uh dylan coughlin i think that's how you say his last name on the i think, on the it's, Vegas I think it's coglin coglin i think it's coglin yeah okay we'll go with it um yeah. which was excellent by the way nice work curious uh what's coming down the pike for you uh, I've got a few pieces lined up. Um, I did a I did a poll for my newsletter that I pretty much ignored. Uh, oh, oh to, who who told you to ignore that one? Mostly due to Greg's influence, a few other people too. Um, but Cap, I was going to write about Kirill Kaprizov or Kaprizov. Um, he's just been awesome to watch, and and he plays the game very differently than a lot of players I've ever seen play the game. So. Um, just his impact on transitions, some of the strategies he uses on zone entries are awesome to watch. Um, you know, his implementation of the Mohawk, some people say it's overused. Some people say it's just right. Uh, I'm going to take a look at that. Um, and then part four of my skating series, that's going to deal a lot with weight shifts and edge work. Um, so if you've noticed kind of my, my skating series has gone from very like overarching, um, and now I'm going to kind of start to combine concepts and then different elements of that nature. Um, and then, you know, I've always got, I've always just got kind of word salad and different ideas laid out in my sub stack. And then I kind of figure out what I want to go with from there. But those are the two main ones I'm working on right now. Um, and then I've also got a deep dive on Kent Johnson uh, coming out for FC this week, I think probably closer to the weekend. Um, I think I've got 16 clips across eight games, close to 25 or 2,600 words on them. It's, it's a big one. Um, but it was a lot of fun to write. You, uh, your work on him was awesome too with, uh, with Justin um that was yeah uh, let's pause there where do you where do you see i'm gonna put you on the spot where do you see kent going in the draft i i end off my article without giving up without giving away too too much so that people actually read it is i i, I don't see him falling outside the top 10 i think that's just criminal if he falls yeah. outside the top 10 uh, what i said in the article is I, I see it being impacted a lot by what team ends up picking 
where, just because like, you know, this draft is looked at, you know, overall as a little bit weaker in nature. But yeah. I also think that I also think that the gap between a lot of the top guys is a lot closer than years prior. Um, so I, it's one of those years where, you know, you definitely want to draft for best player available, but by the same token, when you're looking at that top 10 group, it's like, okay, it just depends on what teams are. Um, so personally, I, I don't, I have him in my top 10, um, FC's got him at eight. I, I, I think if he falls out of the top 10, it's criminal. Um, but I think he should go top 10 just because to answer, uh, to answer Greg's question, he just thinks the game so well, um, you know, he processes it at an unbelievable level. And to me, that's so much more transferable than a guy who, um, you know, maybe just goes out all out all the time or, you know, plays strictly just a spider game on um, the concept, you know, from Daryl and you guys are familiar with. So I, I think he just, he has a very balanced game. His processing speed's amazing. His edge work and his hands are amazing. And the big thing I emphasize in the article is he's an elite planner. Um, so just with all his shoulder checks and pre-scans, he's able to kind of, you know, I call it building the blueprints for his next play and he does it like every play he makes. So he's seldom is making a play out there that he hasn't, you know, thought of and kind of calculated before from, you know, extensive scanning of the ice. So I think that that just translates so well, um, it, from that effect, it reminds me a little bit of Mitch Marner to an extent, but then I also touch on a few other few other current NHL players that he reminds me of stylistically and, and, you know, tactically on the ice, how he goes about playing the game. So uh, I won't go into that because I want you to, I want you to read it and see what I have to say there, but he uh, he's an awesome player to watch. Probably my favorite player I've scouted so far for the draft. And um, yeah, I, I think I see him as lock for top 10 for sure. I think it's just going to depend on who's picking where and how the lottery shakes out. All right. <clears throat> well, sort of wrapping this up here, I, I got uh One's a pseudo question. One's an actual question. And I'll, I'll let Dan ask the last one here. But uh, right. so what, what happened with the terrible dangles in your driveway? Obviously you played some junior <laughs> hockey out there, but I mean, chicken legs, man. No one needs to be seeing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Hey, uh, what do the neighbors say? The neighbor, we, we live in a quiet neighborhood. Actually. I don't actually know if we have neighbors cause I don't really typically see a lot of people outside of their house right now, but uh, I, I get a lot of the, I get a lot of the, I got a rough time from Greg pretty much every time I post a video. And, you know, the funny thing is I haven't actually seen any video come back from Greg. Oh, that's doing a good anything. point. <laughs> so Dan, Dan, I don't know how much you can attest to Greg's on ice, uh, on ice skills, but I mean, next time, uh, next time Greg looks to clap back on Twitter, I'd like to see some, some video examples of his own. For I, sure. I too would like to see Greg put his, you know, back it up a little bit. All yeah. right, all right. I got I got some live barn clips for you. I hit a uh, bar down between the legs goal coming out of the corner. The it was other against day. eight year olds. I saw it. Hey. Yeah, they're all they're all D leaguers. It's great. Yeah. But uh, no, yeah. I got to remember, Dan, for for many weeks of this se- the adult league season down in Columbus, is the leading scorer. A league. Well, I mean, what are we talking about right now? We're talking about Josh. Uh, <laughs> Josh, do you use Mars blades or what? Like, what kind of what rollerblades do you use? I just have Bowers. They were like 200 bucks. Uh, I want to get Mars blades, yeah, but same. I mean, I'm a student, so I can't really justify $800 on rollerblades right now, yeah. but um, I definitely want to get the full, I don't want to just get the wheels or the tracks. I, like, I want the full Mars blade experience. So uh, that's potentially a f- purchase that's in my future, but I, I can't justify the 800 bucks right now. Yeah, I hear you. Well, well, Greg, Greg may be ripping on you, but I'm going to pump your tires here. The reason I ask is because I, I also have Bauer rollerblades and I straight up can't like 0% can't do Mohawks on rollerblades. Like I, I'll just eat it. 
So like props to you for doing full <laughs> mohawks on rollerblades. Like that's respect. yeah. That's why I asked about the Mars blades. I was like, maybe there's some sort of like cheat code or something. No, know. yeah, they're just they're just like that's legit. middle of the road, just middle of the road bow yeah. rollerblades. But uh, yeah, I got to get new wheels soon because. You know, I know you're supposed to switch them every once in a while. You're supposed to flip the wheels, but I just ignored that advice completely. And you sh- it's like a 45 degree angle on the inside of the wheels right now. So it's just, I'm almost touching the road when I go and do my Mohawks now. That explains but, uh, it. But yeah, yeah, for sure. All inside edge. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. All right. Well, last one for me and, and thanks for your time. Maybe just, uh, you know, short and long-term plans. Like where do you see this going? What, what are your hopes and dreams here? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, at current current point in my life, I'm not looking too far ahead. Um, I'm I'm really entrenched. I'm very entrenched in my thesis right now. That's going to take up probably the next four to six months of my time. Um, so that that'll be an exciting project to to get underway. And I'm I'm very close to starting my actual research and interviewing people for that, and and starting to actually collect data and and do real research. So that's going to be really exciting. Um, in terms of what's on the horizon. You know, I'm just going to kind of go with the flow. Um, you know, I, I want to stay involved, obviously, with uh, my goal is to obviously stay involved with uh, the women's program with Brock and then continue to build that. And then um, from there to see whatever I can kind of do additionally, we'll see. But um, that, that's kind of down the road. Long term, I think I have a lot of different interests um, and I definitely want to end up, you know, in an operations or some kind of coaching decision making role in general in hockey. But um, again, that's down the road and I try not to live too, too much in the future just because, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying where I'm at right now. Um, and, and, you know, building what I'm building right now. So I think just, that's a big thing for me is living in the present, living in what I'm doing right now and, and, you know, whatever comes in the future comes. And just, I think I continue to kind of work hard and put my head down right now. And then whatever happens, happens sort of thing. Awesome. Well, I can tell in your future that, uh, Greg and Dan are going to come across the border and show you how to dangle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, once, once COVID kind of peters off and, and the, uh, the border opens back up, we'll have to put that to the test. I'm, I'm excited to, I'm excited to dance, Greg. I'll, I'll take it easy on Dan a little bit more, but, uh, with, with some of the that. stuff that's been, with some of the stuff that's been coming my way from Greg, I'm going to have to put him through the blender a little bit, a few times. All videotape. <laughs> are, are you left yeah. wing or right wing? I need to make sure I know what side to play D on. I, I'm a, I'm a center. I'm a center through and through. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that day for sure. <laughs> we'll have to make a little YouTube series of it or something. That would be fun. We'll get, have to get mic'd up like uh, How To Hockey. It'll be fun. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Awesome. Well, thanks, Josh, for coming on. Really appreciate it and uh, sharing some details and getting into some skating. I thoroughly enjoyed it. We'll have to have you back on. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, fellas. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for tuning into the Hockey IQ podcast. We are Hockey's Arsenal. Greg Revac and Dan Ducart. Together, we've come together to create a platform and a community to expand on hockey intelligence, hockey IQ, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're very passionate about seeing this game played smarter and better to, to develop itself uh, to the next level and staying on the cutting edge of things. So you can find us at Hockey's Arsenal on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We're also at Hockey'sArsenal.com. Uh, you, from there, you can find some resources and some options to work with us. We're excited to continue this. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, follow, and share. Uh, you can also join up for our newsletter as well, where we're going to tackle anything Hockey IQ related. So we're excited to have everyone here and continue to build.
that concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.